right, guys. I'm really excited to be here this morning with you. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, which is on page 569 in the blue Bibles there, if you want to go ahead and be turning there. Um, but yeah, I'm stoked to be able to share this with you guys. Uh, I look around this room and I see a lot of people that are friends and family. And yeah, I've, well, I love a lot of you guys in here and I'm so excited to be here with you, able to just share and uh, a little bit about me. I just, uh, I know Larkin said a little bit already, but I want to correct the place that he was wrong. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I am really passionate about a lot of things in life, but I think the thing that I, I love coffee, love film, love uh, Formula One racing, probably, one of the, probably the only person in this room who feels that way, but there's, uh, there's nothing that I uh, get more stoked about than uh, seeing people get to dive deeper as a community into just the word and what God has for us. And I think he's got a pretty cool word for us this morning. So I'm going to start out and um, recap a little bit, and then we'll jump into the text for the morning. So uh, we've been in Ephesians for the last couple of weeks, months, I guess, and we've kind of been taking it piece by piece and just seeing like what Paul is saying here, what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul. And if you've been here for that, you might remember that we divided the book of Ephesians up into these two really broad categories, right? So the first three chapters talk about our um, identity that we have in Christ, who God has called us to be, who God is, what God's done, and what he said about us as a result. Um, and then from chapter four through six, he, Paul kind of talks about what our responsibility is in light of our identity. Uh, so we kind of these two big words we've used, identity, responsibility. And what we're going to see here is Paul kind of starting to wrap that up and kind of starting to recap and create, um, just kind of sending out and stirring up the Ephesian church and us this morning um, to go out into these things. So uh, let me read Ephesians six for you guys, starting in verse 10, and we'll get started. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is the word of the Lord uh, from Ephesians 6. Uh, I grew up in church. I grew up hearing a lot about this in classes, in like vacation Bible schools during the summer, and that may be uh, the reality for some of you as well. But the thing that I remember most about this as a kid is I had this costume set. It's like cheap plastic costume that had this like dorky helmet that said uh, salvation on it and this like suit of armor that said righteousness and the sword which was my favorite part of it right so it was like the sword of the spirit and I think the reason I was so into this (laughs) as a kid was that it was the only sword my mom would let me have as a kid Um, I guess because it was related to the bible that made a difference somehow but I ran around the house with that plastic sword vanquishing all the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places until I broke it from hitting it so many times against so many different things. Um, Not my sister. I did not use it against her. Let's get that straight. Um, So 
I, but I think if I'm, if I'm not careful, it's really easy for me to look at this text the same way that I've looked at it every single time I've read it. And that's like, look at each piece and think, okay, what does that mean? What is it? What is it? What is a breastplate of righteousness? What is the helmet of salvation? Like, what does that mean for me? And I don't want to get too lost in the weeds in that today. I want to give us a bigger picture of the purpose of the armor and more than that, beyond that of the one who gave us the armor and why he gave it to us. And so what Paul's doing here in Ephesians 6 is he's starting to recap a lot of the core ideas he's talked about. He revisits concepts from the beginning of the book and he ties it all up um, with kind of ascending and he's reminding us of our identity and our responsibility and he's preparing us for the challenges that we're inevitably going to face when we try to put these things into, into practice. He's preparing us for the resistance we're gonna face when we try to walk with our identities anchored in who uh, God has told us that we are. He's preparing us for the challenges, for the battle that he knows it's gonna be to maintain unity, to be honest, to be sexually pure, to submit to each other, to keep right relationships with the people in our lives, in the church, and in our society. He knows that this is gonna be hard, and so he's, he's stirring up, and he's kind of stirring up the emotions and getting us ready to go out And the reality is, it's not just hard because we have a hard time with it, but because there's a very real, um, there's a reality around us of spiritual forces of evil. That's what he's talking about in the beginning of things beyond us, things beyond what we see that is working hard to keep us from living in these things. And I don't want to, we don't have time this morning to talk too much about spiritual warfare. Um, That's a whole different teaching. But I want to, before we get started, just really acknowledge the reality of it, that we are, we are fighting this, and uh, I love C.S. Lewis, who's this famous author from the middle, uh, middle of the 20th century that some of you guys might have read, or I'm sure you've heard him quoted in sermons because it's standard. Like when you're putting together a sermon, it's like, okay, here's where the Lewis quote fits in. But he talks about how we have two, uh, how we have two equally harmful views about, sp- about spiritual warfare in um, our society often, and that's that we can either ignore it or deny its reality and just pretend like it's not happening or maybe we believe that it's happening but we just kind of ignore what's going on or we get over invested in it and try to like look for the like this darkness behind every every single thing that happens and either either one of us either one of those can make it can blind us to the the reality and how it's impacting us and so I just want us to kind of have a balanced view as we walk into that because we have a real enemy who wants nothing more than to lie to us about the things that God has told us in the beginning of this book and throughout it um, to get us to believe those things. And we'll kind of talk more about that later on. Um, So this whole book kind of starts with this prayer of praise for all that God's done. And then Paul kind of wrapping it up and encouraging us to stand firm in them. And one commentator I was reading this week pointed out just how specific he, specifically Paul references the beginning of the book, which is something that I've never seen before in the text, but I'm gonna read um, a part from the beginning. This is from months ago, so. Um, this is from Ephesians 1, verse 13. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of the same words in there, right? We're hearing like word of truth and gospel of salvation or believed and had faith in him. And yeah, he's bringing back, he's bringing us back to the beginning and getting us ready to go out. And one thing that I want us to see about the armor this morning is where it comes from and the responsibility that that bears with it. Because um, this armor isn't something that we've made and it's not like armor that we forge and we take on and we go out to conquer land um, and to kind kind of flesh this out. Paul's using a really common image here 
to the Ephesians, to the church that he's writing here. Because in Greek mythology, some of you guys might remember from like world history classes, this was like, there's like this common theme of the gods making armor or like a weapon and handing it down to a hero. Think about like the story of Achilles um, from Greek mythology whose shield was made by this Greek god and given to him. And um, yeah, but there's a really big difference that I noticed here when I was reading through. And that's that in Greek mythology, you have these gods who are making like often single items of armor, but making these pieces and giving them to the heroes and saying, okay, now here, like go out and conquer, go fight, go do my will, go do my bidding. And they're equipping them to do their bidding. But the armor that God is handing down to us is not something that he's giving us and saying, okay, go be a conqueror. He's giving it to us saying, hey, I've already won the victory. I've used this. Let's look at the armor. Like there's a ding here and there's a scratch here. And this is well-used, battle-worn set of armor that he's handing down to us to stand in the place where he's already taken victory. And um, it's so, it's very specific. Uh, I, someone that, one of our, uh, someone else reading from this week points out, man, Isaiah 59, God dons this exact set of armor dons. That's such an English word. Sorry, guys. He puts on this set of armor in the Old Testament in the words of the, in the, in the book of the prophet of, of Isaiah. And um, I'm just going to read this to you guys in uh, chapter 59, starting in verse 16. Um, it says, he, that is God, saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. His righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, right? And a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And so what we see here in the bigger picture of this chapter is God is looking out at the world and at humanity and he just sees brokenness and corruption and injustice and no one standing up to take a stand against it. He's like, okay, I'm gonna do it. And so he puts on this armor and he sets out to fight this battle and this is not a war that's still going, like there's a battle that's still going on, but the climax of the war has already taken place. You see where God sets out here in Isaiah, he brings to the, to the top of the battle, the big part of the battle at the cross, right? Jesus comes to earth, God taking on human flesh, dies, comes back to life, conquering the last enemy of death. Like this is the truth of the gospel is that God has already donned this armor. Sorry, I used the word again. He's already put this armor on and he's gone out and he's won the fight. And we don't have to fight the battle to win because he's already won it. And you can kind of hear, you can hear how, like Paul realizing this in the beginning of Ephesians, you can hear how excited he is. I'm going to read something again from Ephesians 1. Like Joshua did a really good job talking about this, uh, about how the, just the tone of excitement Paul carries through the beginning. There's like this massive run on sentence. He's just rambling because he just can't stop being how, so excited. And uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 19, Paul says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that's where the battle was won, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. That's us. 
um, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you can just hear Paul's excitement here because what Paul's getting to be a part of, what we get to be a part of, what he's experiencing is something that the people of Israel had looked forward to for hundreds of years. They'd read the words of Isaiah and they're like, this is gonna happen. And Paul's like, no, it has happened. I've gotten to see it. I've seen Jesus. And he's so excited because he's getting to see everything the people of Israel have been waiting for. And Paul's kind of echoing this tone that we see uh, throughout the book of Exodus in the Old Testament where God's leading the people of Israel um, through the land that he's promised to them. And there are these moments where they are just up against certain defeat and there's nothing they're gonna be able to do. Everything is hopeless. feels like everything's lost. Their back is against the sea. The most formidable army in the world is bearing down on them. And then all of a sudden the sea splits and they get to walk through it and God defeats their enemies. And they turn around, they're like, we couldn't have done that. Like everything was done. Like we couldn't win. Everything was hopeless, but God came through and he saved us. And they use, there's this prayer in Exodus 15, this song that's like, man, the Lord is my strength and my song. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And this is the same tone that Paul's taking here, right? He's seeing not just God saving and conquering on the scale of like one group of people or nation, but the whole world, the whole of humanity for all of time. And here's where the enemy will start to get in. And this is why God gives us this armor, right? Okay. He challenges the truths that Paul's speaking. So Paul comes in here and he's just affirming the victory of God and affirming what's been handed to us as sons and daughters. And then the enemy comes in to us and he, uh, he lies to us about what God said. He tries to get us to doubt these words. And the word that Paul uses for the devil in this section is actually like directly related to the Greek word uh, for liar. Um, and that's what the devil is. Like he's a liar. That's his primary tactic because he has, he's been defeated. His only power is to try to manipulate and to bend the truth in our lives. And um, this, this pastor in New York, his name is Tim Geller. Um, he says that, you know, the way that he often does this is to get us by like whispering to us and trying to get us to have either too high a view of ourselves or too low a view of ourselves or too high a view of God or too low a view of God. And we start to, to, to think things like, he starts to say like, you know, you're not that bad. Like, do you really need the grace of God? Like, you're not a bad person. Or on the other side, he says, you know, like you're so screwed up that God can never love you. And he starts to whisper these lies to us. And we start to believe them. And let me give you a really personal example. Last week, we had a conversation that was really important, but it was hard uh, about racial reconciliation. And as, as we're having this conversation, I can feel like, Lord, kind of the spirit's starting to move in my heart and starting to break my heart for the things that break God's heart, for injustice, for systematic oppression, for the, the brokenness of my, of my own view of people. And right when the Lord started to work on my heart, almost immediately the enemy came in and started whispering lies to me, right? He started taking this truth that God was revealing and just twisting it just a little bit. He started to tell me that like, you know, make me really feel like, man, I'm like, feel my brokenness and feel like my lack of ability to treat people, anyone with anyone who's not me, like to see them the way that God sees them, to see them the way I see myself, to see the, the prejudices that I didn't even know were there and the, and the brokenness and it just started to feel despair and it feel hopeless and I just started, uh, I just started to feel so, man, just like there was no hope. Like everything was just, I wasn't ever gonna be able to figure, how am I ever gonna figure this out? And this was the enemy kind of starting to speak a lie. I have too low a view of myself. Um, but then because of community, because of, um, 
one of my, because of someone here that I was talking to afterwards and because of just opportunity of just like to pray and listen to the spirit, gradually the voice of God started to overpower the voice of the enemy that told me there was no hope. And the voice of God started to say something more like, man, you know, you, you might be broken, but like, you're my son. Like, I won this victory. You're my sons, you're my daughters in this room. Like, I've already won the victory and I'm with you in this and we're gonna figure it out. And I don't wanna feel like, I don't want you to hear me saying like, yeah, now I'm great and everything and I know how to move forward from this because it's not the reality. Like, I don't know what the next piece is. Like, I don't know what it's gonna look like for me to start um, just trying to break down the walls of, uh, of, of just... Uh, of inequity in my heart and to, to stand up against the systems that would oppress and divide us. And I don't know what it's gonna look like, but, and I don't have some like certainty, so I'm just blind, like, oh yeah, everything's great, everything's fine. I, I'm still very aware that there's a lot broken in me and there's a lot broken in society, but I trust that God has won the victory there and that he's gonna walk with us into, the, into that. And I love that in this section about armor and about combat and about fighting and about war, and about battle, Paul stops for this for a second and he's like, and hey, what you've got on your feet is the gospel of peace. And like, man, what you have on your feet is so big in this section because you notice like over and over again, you look back at it, like Paul keeps saying, stand, stand firm, stand, take a stand, stand here. And what is it that we're standing on? Like, what is it that we put on our feet? What anchors us? What are we rooted on? What are we standing on? It's the gospel of peace or as... Um, another translation of the Bible that I read this week said, the good news of shalom. And that may be kind of a strange phrase. So I wanna unpack that for you guys for a second because this is, God was just showing me just this, this beauty through here because shalom is this idea um, in Judaism of, man, of the state of creation, the state of the created, the state of humanity and all that God has made being at one with their creator, being uh, exactly what God created us to be, the end of like brokenness and striving, the end of oppression, the end of creation being distant from his creator, but God being with his creation and everything being the way he created it to be like, this is shalom and this is the good news of, of God, of Jesus. The battle that God set out to fight in Isaiah, 15, in Isaiah 19, the battle that he won at the cross, man, it's, it's shalom, it's peace, it's good. It's good news. And at the end here, Paul moves from a lot of passive language, like take on the armor, put on the armor, having put on the armor, to one really active step. He says, pray. At all times, in all ways, pray. And I think sometimes I can kind of, I can be, it's easy to be trite about real pain and real struggles and just say, oh yeah, God's got it. Let's just pray about it. And then to try to sweep the reality of pain and brokenness under the rug and pretend like it's not there. And that's, that's not what I wanna say here. What I wanna say is that, man, we have access to God and we, I love that Paul, he's like, hey, he's not just, doesn't just say pray. He like breaks down. He's like, pray all the time and in all ways. And he like names different kinds of prayer. And he's like, hey, come to God with things you need or the things you want pray for each other and that's like that's the reality of what we get to of our God like we have we have his ear like he hears us he comforts us and last week when I was working through just my own brokenness what it took was um, community speaking truth and reminding me of who I am and who God has told me I am and 
prayer and God reminding me who he is. And we have this line to the, the conqueror and it's easy to, like when you're on the ground and where it seems like a battle still going on, you see this in human conflict throughout history where the war might be pretty much over or just done. The war has been decided, but there's still, um, there's still fighting happening. And you look around and you're like, man, they're saying the war is over. Like I hear that the war is over, but like there's still, I still hear rockets and gunshots and everyone and my friends around me are being hurt. And, and it's easy to lose sight of that, but like we have this line to the conqueror that says like, yeah, it is over. Like I understand that they're still fighting, but like the tide has turned. I'm with you, I'm for you. There's just a power and a peace in prayer. And it's really easy for me to read a section like this in scripture to have grown up on like stories of heroes and superheroes and books and all these things to like, to read this and be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna put on my armor and then I'm gonna go out and sit on the battlefield and I'm gonna like beat everyone. I'm gonna win. I'm gonna stand there in one place. And, and, I don't, and that's not what Paul's saying here because like what Paul's been talking about all the way up until this point is, hey, here's how we live in community. Here's how we practice our relationships with each other, with our households, with the people who don't yet know Jesus. Like, here's how we relate to each other. So this section is inherently communal. It has to be seen in the light of community. It's, yeah, it's just, it's how we come after this together. None of us is standing out on the battlefield uh, single-handedly fighting off a, an invading horde like Yoda or Wonder Woman or I'm just going to spread out all the nerdy references here at the end so I need you guys to be ready for that. No one's, no one's holding this conquered ground on their own and you think about even in the like very literal context of what Paul's saying here. So the Ephesians in this, in this context would be used to seeing Roman soldiers and what Roman soldier shields looked like was they were just tall they had like sheer sides and they were designed to work together in, the ro- in a row. And if you guys have ever seen a movie like 300 or if you're like cooler than that and you're like me, you think of Lord of the Rings and, the, and the, these like groups of people who have these shields and when one of them's standing there on his own, he's you know, covered from the front but still vulnerable around the sides and the back. But when they start to stand together, they form this barrier that goes all the way around and covers the top and they're all together protected and they're walking through it together. And we have to do this in community. We have to root ourselves in our identity together. We have to root our, remind ourselves who we are to remind each other who we are. When we see the enemy speaking lies to the people that we're around, we say, no, 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 that's not who you are. Like, this is who God has said you are. This is who you are. Yes, stand together. And so if I can get, Scott, if I can get you to pull the question slide up for the teaching, we've got a couple questions kind of related to um, some of what we've been talking about. For the next 10 to 15 minutes, I'm just gonna encourage you guys to, at your tables, just circle up your chairs, pick one of, there'll be three questions up here, just pick one of them and kind of share, uh, share with each other, share where you are. And as you're going out and like having shared with each other, like remember this week, like, it's prayer. That's the action item. So like pray for the people that you've talked and things that you guys have shared with each other. So you ask the question? do what? Yeah, I got the questions right here. Um, so yeah, one of the, que- the first question is where is there a spiritual, I think we've got a technical things that we're fixing. So I'll read them down for you guys and we'll get them pulled up. Uh, where's there a spiritual battle going on in your life right now? Yeah, there we go. How can prayer help us stand in the victory God has already won? And what does dedication to prayer in a community like this look like? So pick one of those, talk about it, and then uh, remember this week to just like pray for the people at your table. And in about 10 or 15 minutes, Joshua's gonna get up and lead us into communion. So uh, yeah, go and circle up your chairs and 
have a talk.